It's the Theonauts, episode 187. One where I can do anything you can do better. I can do anything better than you. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you theomisogynists out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the, the Theonauts! Ah, it never works out well. Welcome <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the Theonauts. Today we have a very special guest. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Landry Neal is with us. Hello. Get the last of the Neal children. The Holy Trinity. No, not the Holy Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already messing up. <laughs> Don't don't worry about messing up. It's it's all in the clear now. You're just gonna have to go with it, Lando. So, uh, Andre Neal, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm doing all right. I have my chocolate covered almonds here. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, <laughs> Oklahoma, while you guys are enjoying the sweet serenity of David's office there in uh, Texas. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's sweltering right it? now. Yeah. It's pretty hot. I just turned off the air right. conditioning. So. Yeah, that's one of the sad things about being in your office. I get I get nice, cool, sixty eight degree AC over on my side. So uh, <laughs> deal with it, David. So Landry, how's school going? School is um going to be all online for me. So that's kind of sad, but you know, it's all right. It'll be fine. <laughs> As a college, that's student, like the the that's like the. The go-to statement for this entire year. But, you know, oh, it's be, all right. It'll be, it'll be fine. <laughs> it'll be fine. I feel like we're in that meme with the dog with everything burning around him. Yes, yes. and he says, it's fine. <laughs> this, this is fine. <laughs> oh, man. So, Lando, I have to tell this story, which brought brought up the topic uh, that we're going to oh, discuss boy. today. <laughs> but we were at your... Uh, brother's wedding, uh, and uh, which I got the privilege of doing, and you uh, you were there right as a as a bridesmaid. Yes, I was. So the, <laughs> night, the night before we were at we were at the rehearsal, and I went through my spiel on uh, you know what I was going to do and everything, and I got to the passage in Ephesians chapter five. Where I, you know, I read wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the head is the head of the wife as Christ the head of the church, and I, I forget what did you what did you say to me? I didn't say anything. I don't think I said anything. Did I? Yeah, you gave me this look like, um, what are you gonna what are you gonna say about submission? Like, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which spurned on this entire topic for me in my mind, anyways. I'm like, dude, we got to talk about this. this okay, yes. This. No, I know what I said. I know what I said. I was like, 
I was like, you're not, no, you said you're not going to let me do your wedding, are you? And I was like, no. And you were like, <laughs> oh, we need to talk about this. That's right. Yeah, which, I mean, I hope you change your mind. I'm still doing your wedding. Deal with it. If I get married, that's not on the horizon. <laughs> so you're single, right? Yes. Single and looking? Um, Not particularly. I don't feel like you uh, have many eligible college-age students that listen to your show. Do you? Oh, uh, hey, you, you never yeah. can tell. Never can tell. Yeah. Yeah. At we the end, I'll plug my Instagram. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you heard it first here at Theonauts. Landry is yes. single. Wouldn't, that, the, wouldn't she, that be awesome if you got hooked up because of the Theonauts? <laughs> wow. What, and then I still didn't let Jeremiah do my wedding. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that would be so much pain for That's me. The you have plan. no idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Oh, so man. yeah, so today we're going to be talking about two big, heavy theological terms, uh, and two big, well, one of the major like rifts in the uh, in the American church over this thing called complementarianism versus egalitarianism mm -hmm. so uh <laughs> what do you guys think first uh first impressions wait can i tell the story of how you told me you were doing this topic this is so funny <laughs> so you you, oh, yeah. you texted me and you were like we're gonna do this topic and i didn't know what the words meant and like you mm -hmm. just said we were gonna do it and i and you then you said something like, and remember, arguments need to be biblical, not emotional. And I didn't know what the words meant. And I said, oh, because women are so emotional, right, Jeremiah? And you were like, that's not what I meant. And then after I looked him up, I was like, oh, I, he thought I was trying to start a fight when I said that. <laughs> no, I was, I, yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I thought. Which is really hilarious. So Whatever you came back that because oh my gosh so are you ready to dive right into the it sounds like you're just chomping at the bits to talk about this jeremiah <laughs> i mean I don't, I don't have anything else to talk about today. Oh, okay i did jump out of a plane today by the oh, way yeah. <laughs> did you get to go did you get to go by yourself like, i hate to be time? sitting over here all by myself he's but... been itching <laughs> david's like i want to talk about my skydiving <laughs> no i didn't plane. what was that Go oh, ahead. No, I did not uh, jump out by myself. It was still tandem, mm. but it was a second jump, so it was a lot better this time. Really? Yeah, because I think mainly because I knew what to expect, and I didn't have quite the apprehension about it, you know, going out the door. But it was it was sweet. Was it more fun? Yeah, because uh, I didn't have the photographer right there in my face. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have to perform. <laughs> Could actually just do stuff. And uh, so we did some spins in the air and whatnot. Nice. Yeah. That's so cool. It's I'm pretty hooked, actually. <laughs> you would be so, the type to like become a skydiving yeah, instructor. I think I'm. I think I'm gonna dive into it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. So, at what point do you get to not be a tandem jumper? Well, um, if I if I the next step is to is to enter their skydive training program which is a combination, I think, of tandem and solo dives. But there's, there's an instructor with you there the whole time. And once you get, um, I think, like 20 solo dives in, like they give you a certificate 
of a license, you know, and all this. And at that point, I can go up to the place and be like, hey, I just want to jump. That's cool. And I'm paying for the ride, and that's it. So it's like 28 bucks or something. Yeah, it's, no, it's nothing. You're going to so. go every weekend. <laughs> so, but there was tons of people out there today. Like, there was a group that came out there to do, like, uh, group maneuvers. Like, 40 people jumping out of the plane. It was ridiculous. What? Like, it was just, like, people in the sky all over the place. It was pretty awesome. It's so cool. Next year's Easter retreat. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. All right, so. What was that? Count me out of that one. Oh. I still don't know why anybody would jump out of a perfectly good plane, man. It didn't make any sense. I'm not a big heights person myself, so yeah, I, I don't know. We, I get we did look know, up the we did look scared. up the stats on how uh, dangerous it is, and it's like a grand total of 15 people a year die from skydiving accidents, which sounds kind of bad. Out of the thousands, but it's a ton. Yeah. thousands of people that jump out of a plane every year, and like so I was say, how many people jump out? So what's the ratio? That's what you got to look at. It's there. very I, very low. Cause I think I read it's like one in three thousand. Like parachutes don't open or yeah, something like that. Like that. both parachutes. And it's not just uh, most of the time. Whenever people die from it, it's things like heart failure. Really? And, you know, or they pass out and they can't do their thing. You know, it's hmm. not always like equipment failure is very rare. That is kind of scary about going by yourself. I didn't think about that. Like what if you pass out or something? Mm-hmm. Or you hit your head on the plane uh, on the way out or something like that. Like there's, there's maybe <laughs> tandem is the move. That's yeah. kind of scary. So. Yeah. Didn't you go with some friends this time? Like from 903? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some, some guys from our uh, Tuesday night Bible study. That wanted to go. One of them was a sixty-three-year-old woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she actually jump. I was wondering about that. I it, thought oh yeah, it, it was. Oh, wait, she, oh. Yes, yeah. She That's was. Cool. She was first one out the door. It was awesome. I was oh back there God. yelling, "Go, Pam!" <laughs> and she was going, "No, no, no, no!" All the way out the door. It was awesome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Does she change her tune whenever she got down? Um, yes and no. She said it was okay, but she wouldn't do it again. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> but she was definitely scared to death. <laughs> yeah, but, dude. But it, but it was a bucket list thing, and she really was glad that she did it. And she's braver than I am. It's <laughs> insane. All right, y'all ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. So, uh... The segue's playing, Jeremiah. I know you can't hear it. Okay. All right, go for it. So I forgot we even had segues. It's been so long since we've done. <laughs> oh, it I, hasn't been I, that long, Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Um, so let's, I guess, define terms. Would that be the okay. best way to get it? Yeah, and okay. Then, and then get, so, like, so here's what I want to start with on this. Okay. So right. my, my general Theonauts disclaimer and that is, I don't like camps. <laughs> we are Christians for crying out loud. We're unified, unity. So, but for whatever reason, Christians have to camp up all the time, you know. And so this is another case of that. Um, anytime you put these isms on things, I mean, sure. egalitarianism, complementarianism, 
And the thing that I just have kind of found as I'm going through all this is that I find things in each camp that I agree with. So I don't know. That makes me not part of an ism. (laughs) Sure. I I totally, I a hundred percent agree with you, David. And this one, I don't have a, I really don't have a dog in the fight, honestly, but, uh, Except for that, you have to you have to keep Ephesians five in your in your wedding sermons. Ephesians five is great. We'll get to that because I really think that this is a beautiful picture of how marriage is supposed to work. I agree. Um, And and so I I use that, but not from a not from a complementarianism standpoint. (laughs) If, If anything, it's almost egalitarian the way I use it because I think we're on equal footing here but uh so okay um and like i was i was about to say that this this rift i mean if you go into texas uh and i'm a southern baptist so uh um, i know a lot about the convention stuff but if you go into texas there are actually two baptist conventions in texas usually there's just one state convention right and then the national convention over all of them. But this one was such a earth shattering, like argument that, that the, uh, the entire Baptist Texas convention split into two different camps <laughs> and two different conventions. <laughs> and to this day, they, they have a war over each other. You have the general convention and then you have the Southern Baptist of Texas convention. Right. And, uh, and so it's, it's very interesting. Like, this uh this whole argument and and where it stems from and that one mainly is not it's not about equality as much as it is about women's role in ministry that's what um, I was and that ask, has to play in big time here are we talking Ahead, about this like in only the role of marriage or are we talking about it like more broad than that yeah it's broader than that okay so yeah it's uh, roles in the home and roles in the church primarily. Okay, gotcha. And in right. business as well, but business. But this is like we're not really all that concerned about that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a big it's a big issue. It's like a, it's a huge surrounding mm-hmm. issue on gender equality more than anything else. Um, and so complementarianism, the the historical definition. This is the one that I mean. Pretty much all churches were complementarianistic until I don't know um, the early 1900s. Um, but it's the idea that men and women are equal in personhood. In other words, they're they're equal as people, but they have different defining roles that complement each other. That's what the word complementarianism stems from: is this idea of complementing, right? Yes. And so. Because of that, the husband or the man in the church has a role of authority, and the woman has the role of, uh, well, it's a subversive role underneath the husband and also underneath the pastor. Um, So although they're equal as humans, they're not equal in roles. Does that make sense? Yep. (laughs) So there's there's a I mean there's a huge um, plethora of scripture that that complementarians turn to. 
um, to show this in the Bible, um, starting from Genesis all the way through Paul's epistles, general epistles. Um, and then egalitarianism is kind of on the off it, op opposite scope of that, a belief in human equality. So humans are equal. They start from the same base, right? But they're equal in roles as well as so socio politically economically they're equal as well as in in the human aspect okay so a lot of the basis and and they will they will go through an argument argue in scripture uh showing their you know their proof so mm -hmm. so it's, it's this big uh uh argument <laughs> anyways so uh what do we think where should we go here <laughs> should we just look at scripture and see well what um, it has to yeah let me kind of I'll, I'll throw in my two cents on okay. on all this so um i went through and i was reading a bunch of complementarian um blogs and i also read through some egalitarian thoughts and here's kind of what the consensus that I was picking up from the, from them, that even though I agree with some of what both groups are saying, on the whole, I tend to see that the people shouting, so the people that are actually writing the blogs about it, that are passionate about it or whatever, the ones who are in the complimentary, complimentarian camp are pretty much patriarchal. Like, they're very much in, you know that I'm the man of the house and I mm -hmm. run things. <laughs> and that seems to be the message that is kind of coming across. Even though I agree with a lot of some of what their takes on scriptures are, where they end up taking it is like, I want to read like one thing here that I picked up from one of their sites. It said, uh, okay. complementarians believe that men and women are equal in their souls, their humanity and their worth to God. But, this is where their equality ends and the differences begin. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I, I don't agree with that. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I just flat out think that that's uh, a, a misunderstanding of Scripture and taking it, taking some of the Scriptures that I agree with some of the points, but they're taking it to a place that I disagree with. Yeah, that's my problem with, like, <clears throat> most things as well, as well, like, the language or whatever that Jeremiah was talking about, I just feel like it gets taken to a place that's not where you should take it at all. So my flip side of that is when I went to the egalitarian blogs and started reading their texts and their passion about it, what I heard was a lot of stuff I agreed with about equality and this sort of thing. But then it started spinning it a little more to full-on feminist dominance. And so I was kind of like, okay, now wait a minute. You just went from equality to inequality again. Like you're not, like you're arguing equality, but you're taking it to an inequality position because you are wanting to uh, to make the man in a submissive role. Yeah. And so, uh, so it was almost like, okay, I can't get in this camp and I can't get in that camp because the camps have very extreme points of view about where these arguments go. So I think that the truth lies in the middle of all of this. I feel like you say that on everything you'll talk about. Dave's <laughs> like, oh, let's, I think it's somewhere in the middle. 
yeah, and the thing is, is the sad thing is, is is most most of these these arguments, I, I agree with David that a lot of it has to do with two extremes yelling at each other and not seeing the the biblical truth in in the center of it all. And so, I think that I think that this all starts with an idea of gender more than anything else, and, and the biblical idea of what gender is. Okay, because then from there we go into gender, quote unquote, roles. And you have to ask a question, are they cultural or, you know, are they assigned by God in some aspects? And so from there you come into an understanding of, you know, complementarian versus egalitarian. So for me, you know, you go all the way back to Genesis, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In Genesis 126 and 27 and actually I want to I want to go through 29 um, no through 31 actually Genesis 1 26 through 31 so uh, I have it open so I'll just go ahead and read it okay go for it it says and God said let let us make man in our image according to our likeness They will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Okay, so for me, I see a great equalizer right here. Yes. Right? Taking the royal man, um, as, as it's seen, and he's including women in that. Right, and he created male and female genders, but I don't see a specific gender role here yet. Okay, um, because in verse twenty-eight, and my argument for that is, if you continue reading, <clears throat> verse twenty-eight says, "God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth." Um, so, who is he saying to this to? the 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 pronoun there is them not him correct and so we see that man and woman are ruling together coexisting with god in the garden as equals um and created in the image and likeness of god um and it it would fit with galatians where where Paul says, so this is this is in the creation order, yeah. right? And then if we look in the creation, we need to look in the new creation. So God, so what happens in between there, between the creation and the new creation? The fall. Fall, sin, right? And what happens when the fall happens? Things get screwed jacks, up. Jacks everything up, right? Then we look in the new creation in Galatians. Um, three. Oh, what is it? Galatians, huh? Galatians three. Is it three? Yeah, Galatians three. Verse 26 to 28 is, I think, the one you're looking for. It says, You have become all true children of God by the faith of Jesus, the anointed one. It was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the anointed one, and now you are covered and clothed with his anointing. And we are no longer we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, 
male or female, because we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ, with no distinction between us. Yeah. So for me, it's a mute point, right? The idea is when when sin entered the world, that that creation was jacked up, and so God God allows gender roles, like He gives specific roles, but it's because of the fallen nature, right? Okay. Interesting. And in in Christ, we're equal again. Does, does that make sense? Yes. Am I, am I does that make sense, Landry? <laughs> Am I explaining that okay? I get, I get what you're saying. Okay. But, I mean, if you look at the fall, one of the most revealing ta- tales of this is... Um, um, the the consequences of sin. Yeah, it's in um, 3. 3.14. 3.15. I will put he's speaking to the to the woman. Yeah. To the woman. Actually 316. He speaks to the woman. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, and yet he will rule over you. So we have this idea of domination ruling because of as a result of one of the consequences of the sin right yeah so so where does where does that, where does that leave us today though well <laughs> that's the question i want to i want to expound on some of that too so um and this is kind of funny the timing of this is just awesome because i'm going through genesis with um our tuesday night bible study and so a lot of this came up and i was reading um into some of the original language and and looking at um some of this wording. Uh, I want to go back to Genesis 2 where um, where he is talking about man's need for um, a mate. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> he uses this word um, that is translated, uh, where is it? Here it is. It's in verse 2, verse 18. It says, then Yahweh God said, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It is, you are. <laughs> it is not good for the man to be alone. Therefore, I will fashion a suitable partner to be his help and strength. I, just, I love the way that that was chosen, the wording that was chosen there. And the reason why he chose to, this is because the word underneath this is ezer, E-Z-E-R, which... Um, is translated in some translations as a help meet for him or a helper in the ESV. And in this translation, it says a suitable partner to be his help and strength. The reason why uh, he words it that way is because this word easer, when you see it other times in the, in the Old Testament, it is in reference to God being an easer to man. So, like, whenever, um, like, we even sing it in our uh, Come Thou Fount song, right? Here I raise my Ebenezer. Like, it's a a symbol that God helped me here. And and so, when we see it used, it's generally used as God helping man. And here we have him saying, there wasn't anything like that on the earth for the man. 
And so I'm going to make him an easer on the earth. So it's not, there's no subordinate uh, message in that. In fact, it's kind of uh, the other way around. It's a supportive from a standpoint of he's going to need help because <laughs> he's going to have problems on his own. And so he's going to need somebody that can, that can help him through life. And, um, and then I thought it was kind of cool whenever um, he creates woman, um, he makes Adam go to sleep and he puts him in a trance. And um, here it says, uh, he caused Adam to fall into a deep trance. And while he was asleep, he took a portion of Adam's side and closed its place with flesh. So some translations use the word rib um, here, and but the the term is kind of hard to translate because it, it can be translated rib, but that's not all that it means. It, it can also mean um, something that is uh, a deep internal part. Like this is the same word they would use for the hull of a ship or a beam in a construction of a house. Like it's a structural component. And this structural component was taken out. And so whenever this happens, uh, Adam's like totally excited about it. (laughs) And obviously he says, at last, one like me, her bones were formed from my bones and her flesh from my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. Now, sometimes people read that as a misogynistic type of statement, but it's, it is not the intent of what Adam is saying. He is, um, he, first off, he is very excited about this. And he's saying, because she came from my flesh, and he's been naming everything. Like, that's been his job so far, is to name everything God's created. And so he takes it upon himself to name this new creation. And the Hebrew word for man is ish. And so the the word woman here is Isha. So all he's doing is adding one Hebrew letter to the end of his own name. Right. I, I am Ish, she is Isha. And the letter he chose to add is awesome. It's the Hebrew letter He, which is, um, it means in by itself, it means breath. So it's like, and it's used in, in reference to usually the breath of God. So like right. when, whenever Sarah changes her name or uh, Sarah's name is changed from Sarah to or Sarai to right. Sarah, it's the same thing. The Hebrew letter He is added to the end of it. So it's like in the same way with Abraham's name. He was Abram, but then he became Abraham when God got involved. It's right. all it is is the addition of the letter He in his name, meaning the breath of God is now in me and I'm somebody else. So it's like the breath of God came through me and this happened like it was this miraculous thing that he saw as himself plus one. Like my, I'm going to name her myself plus the breath in it. So she is going to be Isha. And so it's just this honorable, like loving thing. And so it adds weight to the thing that you read there in Genesis three after the fall, because what we have to understand is God is not giving like his will in this. He's not saying, okay, it's now my will that he will dominate you. He's saying, 
y'all screwed up. You had it great, and there was this loving, uh, complete thing, but because of this, things are going to get messed up. Right. And so the messing up here, it, part of this messing up was the fact that the man was going to subdue her and dominate her instead of treating her as an easer. So like he doesn't really yeah. say, he doesn't necessarily say it's a good thing. He's right. Just like right. this is a result. Yeah, I mean obviously pain in childbirth isn't a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't be like it's going to hurt so bad and also here's this cool new mm. structure. Well, and f- for the guy, you know, he tells Adam, you're going to have to work at the the soil and by the sweat of your brow you're going to be able to to bring forth food. And the and he says he uses that same word pain. It's the same word he uses for her in travail of, of childbirth. Y- y'all are going to go through painful times now because yeah. of this mistake, because of the fall. And so, so it's, it's definitely a curse outlook. It's not you know, roles these these ideas of the gender role. Yes, as is is more of a curse than it is. And this is in. This is an egalitarian argument. Like this is one of the things that they turn to. Like this is what what they use in their uh, in their argument is that uh, that patriarchy began because of the fall. It wasn't God's design. It was it was something that that happened because of the fall. Right. So let's turn to the complementarian answer to that. Okay. They would say. Yeah, but God used patriarchy to bring about his plan. Mm-hmm. So they would point to the fact that the male, <clears throat> so Israel is a mirror of of the church, right? Yes. They would point to in the Old Testament um, that there are, um, it's, it's, it's all through the patriarchy. So, he used the seed of man to bring about Jesus. Um, he used kings to his kings to rule were all male. The Levites, who were the servants in the church, um, only a male could be a could be a priest. Yep. Right. And so, if you look throughout Old Testament history, you see that it's it's the man who is in authority. That's correct. Um, so, so it seems that you know, even though this is part of a curse, God God uses it to bring about His will, and and they they don't see a break between that and and the church, uh, according to Paul's epistles. Does so that make sense? What do you think about that, Landry? I'm just I'm just con- I'm kind of confused, I guess, because like if he used it to bring about his will, then it's like it was a part of like the old covenant, you would say, right? Or like that's before like what you guys were reading earlier. It's like, well, now after the fact, we're all equal again under Christ. So like I get if they're saying like that was the argument back then, but it's like we're not in that, we're not in those under that covenant anymore, so. I don't know. Well, and you can also say God uses a lot of things to make his will come about, including war, genocide. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's all kinds of, yeah, uh, famine. There's um, all throughout the Old Testament, we see God working through things that aren't necessarily 
um, good things. So, so one of the one of the best uh, another response to this is that there were women leaders in the Old Testament. Never men wouldn't rise up mm-hmm. to lead like um, Deborah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have Deborah. Uh, you also have some pretty strong women in the Old Testament narrative. Um, Ruth is a comes to mind. Um, you know some others. So, Esther. Yeah. Esther. Esther, huge one. You know, Esther is the leader of her people simply because she's the queen, um, and she's Jewish. So, so you have that great story in the Bible. There are, you know, there are all, there are books of the system. Um, one of the things that you said, Landry, is interesting that the whole idea of old covenant versus new covenant, and we are we are totally in the new covenant, but I don't think it's fully realized yet. Meaning that we're in a new covenant. Um, so if you look at if you look at history in a timeline, you see um, at the beginning everything's perfect, right? And then if you if you draw, you can draw a line at the fall and draw a line down and start a new timeline of life in the fall. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have life in the fall where God's working through the Old Testament to restore um, the people. And then you have the, the, the account of the cross, which is the, the climax of the story. So... It, it's it's like we're we're bumped up again, but we're still the the fall is still uh, uh, we're living under under the curse of the fall until the full restoration of all things, hmm. which doesn't happen until the second coming of Jesus, right? So even though we we are in the new covenant because of Christ, He hasn't come and fully restored everything. That's why we still have war and we still have death and we still have pain uh for childbirth and and pain in um uh work right mm-hmm. uh, and christ didn't get rid of those things yet but he will and when he does everything will be restored and we will be equal but you still have these gender roles to deal with throughout history um and I think we should get to the New Testament because there's some really interesting things that Paul says that that people can take and make I don't know make the New Testament kind of backwards. <laughs> Does that make? Or people think that wow, it's you know, there's definitely not equality in the New Testament, and so so we should look at those. I don't know. It's, we should jump to. Uh, one of the most interesting for me is First Corinthians eleven. <laughs> okay, there. It, I don't have an answer to this one, but I do have some ideas about it. Yeah, that's, that's a fun one. First Corinthians eleven, yeah. first few verses. Yeah. So, I was talking about head coverings. Yes. Andrew, have you ever worn a head covering covering in the church? No, I have not. When you prayed. No. Sinner. Or when you're praying. (laughs) Don't you realize that Paul specifically said in 1 Corinthians that you're supposed to? Hmm. (laughs) 
So he says, all right, I praise you. And he's talking to the Corinthians. And I praise you. Uh, and this is 1 Corinthians 11. Because you remember me and everything and hold fast to the traditions, just as I delivered to the, them to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of every woman, and God is the head of Christ. Keep in mind this, uh, this word head because it's kind of interesting. Okay. Every man who prays or prophecies with something on his head dishonors his head. Now, I have a quick question about this, and I don't know. This is totally off point, but <laughs> why do Jewish men wear yarmulkes? Do they leave them on when they're praying? Oh, yeah. In fact, that's whenever you need, anytime you're in any type of spiritual um place or you're in prayer you have to have one on oh well, well this is the new testament though where this is saying this does it ever say this in the old testament well yeah but this is um there is some cultural stuff that's happening oh, okay. in, in reference to all this yeah so it's interesting i'd like to look at the history of the yarmulke and where it came from i'm not sure if it started until after like after like the second or third century a.d because it seems like men didn't because Paul is writing from a kind of a Jewish standpoint here, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. All right, David? Yeah, I think I think that uh you're right. This is this is actually a difficult passage to unpack. Like all okay. the way around. Yeah. <laughs> like um, but yeah, men shouldn't uh pray or prophesy with their head or with their head covered because it dishonors Head. Verse 5, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one of the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. <laughs> a man should not cover his head because he is the image and glory of God. That's interesting. So too, women is the glory. Uh, woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. <laughs> so in a country. Reading in that, that almost just looks like straight up sexism, right? Yeah. Straight up, like, you know, God is, man is the image of God, but the woman is the image of man. Here. Yeah. But check this out, verse 11. And a lot of people, the, so the ego, uh, so the complementarians like this, but they kind of stop here. What's interesting is verse 11. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as a woman came from a man, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. So, so then, it sounds like he's putting him on equal. Yeah, right? and then so then he says, so, so then decide for yourselves. I know he says, judge for yourselves. That's right. He said all that to say, you're done. 
I love uh, verse 16. If anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. Because it seems like it's so, all like cultural or mm-hmm. like in the times, you know? I think that's that's where I land on this. This is a very, very... So 1 Corinthians is a highly cultural book. You have to put Paul's epistles in the culture, and you also have to understand who he's writing to and his occasion of writing in order to really understand what he's trying to get at. So 1 Corinthians is written to the Corinthian church who's struggling with a lot of serious issues. Yeah. Right? And they're embedded um, in the Greek culture as well. That's right. And and so some of this is actually um, uh, Hellenistic. So like if we if we flip over a few chapters you get first uh, Corinthians 14 which has that whole statement about so women should keep silent in the churches and um, and so that's another big uh, point of contention but um, here it's funny even though he's given all this instructions about a man being head of the woman and woman should cover her head when she's praying what's this instructions for it's for praying in public. Right. Right. Then and he prophecy. turns around in verse 14, in chapter 14, and says, let a woman be silent, So, which mm. includes praying. So, so either he's contradicting himself or there's something broader going on that we as modern readers are missing out on. And Indeed, yeah. So Corinthians, uh, the Corinth is heavily Hellenized. Mm-hmm. Um which means that they, you know, they they deal with that whole that whole culture, and so in Greco-Roman culture, you have to understand that the the gender roles were firmly implanted. Oh yeah. Um, that the man was basically, when we say the head of the household, we mean it like way more than he is today. Women, like, women were property. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I learned a lot about that in, like, my U.S. history class this last semester. Like, the idea of, like, a husband and wife being friends didn't even really happen to, like, the American Revolution. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, women were definitely, like, pretty much bought and sold as property. The idea is, like, if a guy liked a girl, he could, you know, go to her husband or go to her dad. Or with her dad and own her, basically. And she had pretty much no say in it. Women... They're only like the only people that were subservient to women were slaves and children, and the women had the women had a very distinct role in the household. Their job was to keep the order of the house, um, so make sure the slaves were doing what they were supposed to do, and make sure the children were doing what they were supposed to do. Um, and in fact, this comes to play with with Christianity a big deal because. Um, if, if you were a woman, you were supposed to worship the gods that your man worshipped, not not who you get to pick and choose. Yeah. And so when Christianity rolls about, women are, there are women who are, and there's a really good book by a guy by name De Silva. It's called A Week in the Life of Rome. I just read A Week in the Life of Ephesus, and he, he's a historical writer. He writes historical fiction, but... He, his goal is to show you the cultural context. And there's a woman character in a, a week in the life of Rome who chooses to be a follower of Jesus when her husband is 
not a follower mm-hmm. and the implications that can happen because of that. Like she can be uh, divorced, disowned, killed. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it, you know, there's a there's a huge gender role bias going on in this culture, and Paul is writing that. So then, why does Paul tell women to keep silent when praying and prophesying? Well, you know, here's part of that is um, there's a lot of if we go through this First Corinthians letter, there's all this instruction about how others are perceiving the Christian church how the pagans are perceiving the Christian church. Yes, and, yeah, yeah. And, and so um, in chapter, um, of course, chapter 12, he's like, don't get all, you know, uh, obsessed about the, 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 the gifts of tongues and the gifts of, of healings and all that. Focus on love instead. That's where he goes into chapter 13. And then in chapter 14, he gets into this whole thing about, uh, okay, so if people wander into your services, what are they going to think? If you're speaking in tongues and no one can understand what you're saying, there needs to be an interpreter there. Otherwise, the people who come in are be, going to be confused. So it seems like there's this focus on the people who are coming in. Like, what are they going to view? And then he does this whole thing about women should keep silent in the church. Like, that's almost like a, a, a part of the same mentality. So think back to uh, what kind of, what kind of uh, teachings they had. And what, what their society was like. Women didn't go to school. There was uh, anyone who was educated was male, period. And it had nothing to do with men being smarter than women. It had to do with opportunity. Like they weren't given the opportunity to go to uh, schools. And so if a woman spoke up in the middle of a Socratic method type of teaching, it took everything down. Not because necessarily because she's in unable to intellectually talk, but because she was uneducated, and therefore what the guys were talking about, she drugged down the conversation. And, yeah. and, and so I believe that what he was saying here was, you're going to, if, you, if you, you need to at least follow their cultural standards in your group meetings, so that you don't lose the people that are coming in. I think it's still right. related to that. I don't think it has anything to do with this is God's decree on that women should always keep their mouth shut. Like, I don't think that's what the passage is saying. I think he's giving advice to uh, a group that was teaching in a Socratic method in a culture where women were uneducated. Like, I think right. that's the, actually, the point. Right. And, he actually allots for women to to ask questions, but he tells them basically to ask him at home with their husbands, so that you know he can explain or help, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's that picture, and he, I I agree. So this is again, we are we are sitting firmly so far in the camp of egalitarianism. <laughs> you know, so. I know I've been so quiet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about roles in the home then. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, I have to tread carefully because me and my dad are in a long-standing feud right now about something to do with this. And he was like, you're going to tear me up on that and I won't be there to defend myself. <laughs> <laughs> let's hear it. What is, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the argument? 
We'll be we'll be gracious to Brian because he is a fellow Theonaut. Yeah, he is a Theonaut. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to get into another argument that you guys haven't talked about on here. But basically, my dad thinks that he has the authority to tell my mom she cannot get a tattoo. Which I might add, a tattoo is going to be a like religious expression, like a testament to her faith on her body. And I was just like, first of all, this is religious oppression. Second of all, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we got into a whole a whole little tip about it, but he was like, "We're we're, I am the man, and like she is my wife, so if I hate them, like she should not get them." And I said, "Well, if you love her, if you are to love her as Christ loves the church, why can't you let her get a tattoo?" I was like, "Why are your aesthetic preferences more important than a profession of her?" on her body so anyway that's where we're at with that wow i didn't know it was going there <laughs> yeah i was like maybe we should talk about this later so okay we, we should we should go to ephesians but before we do that let's let's stop off on in first timothy because this is this is one of the most interesting to me because I don't know if it has so much to do with culture here because this is a direct teaching from Paul to his um, his protege Timothy, right? Yes, but bear bear in mind, Timothy is stationed in Ephesus. That's right, and there and there is some very highly cultural considerations happening in, in Ephesus around the worship of Diana. In the Temple of Diana, Diana, which was all female priests. Stealing my thunder. What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to steal your thunder. I was just saying that there is cultural stuff in this writing. <laughs> all right. Well, let's read it. Let's read it first. Okay. Okay. Come out directly, and like this is where most implementarians will will make their stand as far as women being pastors okay. or head pastors of church not necessarily ministers meaning you know they can be they can be children's ministers they can be uh, women and family ministers but when it comes to the role of the head pastor paul lays this down pretty hard hardcore in timothy because he's giving timothy advice on starting the church right and working with uh, being the pastor of the church and uh and so working with with the church and so he says okay i'll start in verse eight wait what um, chapter in the the uh first timothy chapter two starting in verse eight and the crux is going to be verse 12 uh and 13 and 14 and 15. <laughs> 15, because that's a whole nother can of worms that I don't even have a clue as to how to understand myself. I don't know, maybe David has some insight on that, but okay, here we go. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense. Now, this has to do a lot with the Temple of Diana, what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And Artemis, which they um, 
they had se- it was a sex they had sex cults and women dressing from uh, temple prostitution know, temple prostitution right um, but with good works okay okay sorry with decency and good sense not with elaborate hairstyles gold pearls or ex- uh, ex- expensive apparel but with good works as is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. And I'm not going to read that whole Okay, but she will be saved for childbearing uh, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do there? Well, you want my opinion on it? Yeah, go. I don't, I'm not going <laughs> to. Okay, okay, go ahead. So um, this has a black and white reading, that, I mean a flat hermeneutic that sounds very misogynistic or it sounds at least very role oriented very misogynistic but if you um but some of the things that i've seen on this is in reference and it kind of all goes back to the how the worship of um astarte and diana was like a major player in the christian um movement like they were trying to infiltrate uh, a very pagan culture here that was pro- predominantly women in a very um, um, like they were basically saying don't be confused for as the temple of Diana like tr- like stand apart from that don't appear like that so these instructions are basically about breaking the culture and being outside of the culture, which was primarily women being the priests. And so um, his concern here, uh, from what I understand, is that uh, if these new converts, it specifically mentions new converts in here, have to learn um, about Jesus. Otherwise... If the women are, are going to be teaching, everyone's just going to assume this is another branch of this pagan worship that was going on. There was also this belief in the worship of Diana that, um, that you could actually avoid pain and childbearing and that sort of thing through um, temple worship. Right. And so uh, that last verse... Um, yeah. is a direct reference to uh, to that. So hang on, let me pull up a different version than what I'm reading. Um, Are you reading the Passion? Yeah, and it doesn't make it quite as as obvious or weird. So okay, so verse 15 in the ESV says, uh, "Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control." So um, there was this concept that, you know, women died in childbirth because they didn't uh, 
they didn't do enough in service to Diana and things of this nature. And so he's ba- basically. Yeah. Death in childbirth was a common occurrence back then. So what the, so what it was basically saying is that um, they'll be saved through childbearing without Diana. Like that's like, if you don't go down this path of, of Dianistic type of worship, you'll still be able to have children without dying. Like, cause this is part of the fear that they were combating in that culture. So I don't know okay. if that's just totally confusing, but, but no, uh, it, it makes sense. This whole, this whole issue of salvation, whenever I say saved, a Christian immediately goes to in the new Testament, uh, uh, with the new Testament parameters, a Christian goes to eternal salvation, salvation eternal salvation. And I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. No, I don't um, think so either. Although I, I think it he is doesn't mean like women time. can only be have salvation if they have children. <laughs> right. uh, what it he means. says and you have are... infertility. Too bad. <laughs> there, there are. I mean, there have been denominations that have claimed that. That's true. Because of their hermeneutic, which is context and culture. I, it is so important for good, proper exegesis, so, and we say that every single episode. One of the things I think that we should remember as Christians, I don't mean as just you, you and I, I mean, we, we're on this page, but I mean as Christians, we should remember that we should always let the clear text interpret the unclear text. In other words, whenever we, we run across a text like this that is hard to unpack because it's so heavy uh, in both culture and um, and language, and there's just so much in here that's that's that is uh, somewhat confusing. That we should lean on other passages to help us interpret them, instead of oh, I think this means this, and therefore we're going to run with it. And that's what that's what causes these flat hermeneutics. If someone will read this in English in the old King James and say it's right there black and white bible says it i believe it that settles it and and become That's not like a direct quote from someone. <laughs> and just become a complete misogynist because you misunderstood what was being said um and and so i think this is part of the problems so um did you have anything on else on timothy you want to talk about because i wanted to branch off for just a second well i i wanted to bring up the whole for it was eve that not that the the verses between fourteen or between fifteen and uh, um, and eleven, which are very interesting. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived; woman was deceived. Right. right? But it's like, uh, who did the serpent come to? Though he didn't go to Adam first; <laughs> he chose Eve. Right. So, like, we don't know yeah. what Adam would have done. <laughs> Yeah, and also you, you're exactly right. And also, uh, Adam was the one that received the direct order from God <laughs> not to eat of that That's... tree. He's the one that related to Eve. Yep. And so Adam wasn't deceived. He he uh, directly disobeyed, which to me is worse personally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because it's flat out. Deceived. It's it's flat out. Uh, yeah, I know this is wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. Right. And, uh, I, I think that his goal, I think that Timothy or Paul's goal here 
um, is actually to put women and men on more equal footing because of the Diana cult. Does that make sense? Like the women like, were just kind of like running wild in the town. He's like, all right, slow down. Slow, don't get too crazy. Right. And, balance to and the so, force. <laughs> in balance. So, uh, you know, they, again, this is, this one's, and people can argue, well, it's direct. It's, it's a direct ordinance that Paul gives to Timothy about leaders. Um, and you can look in, uh, in second Timothy and you can, you know, whenever he's setting up, um, is it Second Timothy? No. Is it Titus? I can't remember. Uh, the pastoral leaders. Officials. You talking about leadership? Yeah, when he's setting up leaders, he says a husband of one woman. Right. You've got to look at it in the context that it would have been a husband as the leader. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, in the in the church. Well, uh, and, and given also, and given their culture, that would be true. Like right. Like they would be. I mean, they they men had a dominant role in the house by the cultural standard right. at the time. So, of course, he would be I'm saying. Of three, by the way, go ahead. So, yeah, of course, he's saying, yeah, when I'm looking for good qualities in a man to lead the church, he should be someone who has taken leadership well that he's done well, and right. um, and that doesn't necessarily mean domineering either. Um, in no. fact, I think a pastor who's domineering is a bad pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I mean, a, a, the word minister is a much better term, you know, in terms of what their mentality should be like. And um, but the word pastor is terrible, anyways, because it, I mean, it even only occurs one time in the New Testament, and it's talking about the different, you know, mm-hmm. so some he gave the spiritual gift of being pastors, and others. And so it has nothing to do with women at all. <laughs> well, so anyways. One thing that um, that I wanted to, to, to say is that, you know, we do have some passages like that that sound very um, direct, um, but they are, there are cultural things happening. But one of the things that we can bounce that off of is Jesus himself. So how did Jesus handle women? Like, what was his relationship with women like? Like, if we're going to pattern our lives and our churches and our homes and everything else after Jesus, mm-hmm. like, it, it, if he, going back to Ephesians 5, that, uh, you know, that we are being, we're setting Christ up as our model, as a husband. Like, that's what it's all about, is love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Like, there's this model being made. So let's look at Jesus how is he looking at women? How is he treating women? Like, I love that. Because Jesus, like, he was a feminist for his time. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he was very countercultural. Yeah. Like, I was telling, who was it, Riley, I guess? Like, I was talking about how, like, he chose a woman to, like, tell everyone mm-hmm. that he was risen. And I think that's, like, I don't know. You can't just discount that. You can't just, that seems very, like, contradictive if you were to say like the same Jesus who treated women this way to say that like Jesus wouldn't see women on an equal footing is just it doesn't make any sense yeah well and you just go through the list like um very early on you know you've got in uh John chapter four you've got the whole woman at the well story like she becomes the evangelist Mm -hmm. to the entire city of Sychar 
like <laughs> he's the first evangelist the, right the, 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 the very first of uh at least the very first gentile evangelist yes right. and, and not only that you have women are first in a lot of things in the new testament mary magdalene and the women are the first to find jesus uh, at the tomb it's mm-hmm. it's women who are the first testament to jesus's resurrection which is very interesting that god uses women's testimony which was considered as nothing at that yeah. time inadmissible in court like <laughs> right it was it, it, as as evidence of his resurrection and well, no. and it's and it's a good evidence of resurrection too, because if you're going to make this story up, you wouldn't you wouldn't include women. Yeah, like you would you would exclude the women in their culture because they are inadmiss they, they do they they aren't good witnesses uh, in their culture. They they would not consider the well even the disciples go these crazy women, like they 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 didn't even uh, respond to it initially. Uh. <laughs> Absolutely. So anyway, um, it's just interesting to me how much, how big of a role women play in Jesus's ministry. Like even whenever, even subtle things, like the way he blesses the woman with who washes his feet with her tears, mm-hmm. while he's sitting in a man's house, and basically shames the man. You haven't washed my feet. I'm your guest. I came in here. You you haven't done anything for me, yet this woman has done nothing but love on me since I came in. Who do you think is going to love me the most? I mean, who you think who do you think I'm going to love back? Who do you think is? I mean, it's like this this um, this this whole thing is that that almost like men in the culture were thinking of things completely by the book theologically, but there was no heart in it. Oh, uh, something I forgot to point out. I don't. I don't want to go back to First Corinthians or First Timothy too much. But the word uh, in two eleven, uh, two. I think it's two eleven or two twelve. Uh, authority to have authority. I. I do not permit a woman to have authority. Yeah. The word authority, often teo. Um, my. Uh, brought up that that word is the the actual word is unclear. Um, most translated to have authority, but it's usually in a negative concept context. A better translation of it is to the domineer. Yeah. So it is a negative domineer context that would, that would fit right along with the understanding of what was going on um, in uh, Ephesus at the time. Right. Yeah. So, well, before before we get uh, out of the topic, yeah, I do want to share some of the things because I think we've 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 been kind of thin on the complementarian side of things, but there is some things that I do think um, are important in the way that we're made, and I do think that um, both camps acknowledge that there are differences between men and women. Like that's both camps are pretty good about acknowledging that. Right. But they want to you do uh, take it in two different, you know, directions. And so sure. one of the things that uh, I have found interesting in just pastorally 
counseling couples before and, and just listening to them and, and watching how they operate together and how they interact. <clears throat> we, as men, uh, uh, have a nature of, of our, our ego is a big part of who we are. Like uh, that sort Speak of thing. Speak for yourself. I don't have an ego. And, and, um, and, you know, we are traditionally the hunters and gatherers. And I think there is a natural thing in us that drives us to that. You know, uh, guys tend to be, now this is not, there's always exceptions to the rule, but in general, guys tend to be, you know, geared toward um, more violent confrontation, you know, because of the hunting gathering type of mentality. Whereas women tend to do have more of a nurturing, natural, uh, loving type of personality. Um, and so they're better, uh, generally they're better with raising kids than guys would be. Doesn't mean guys can't be good, you know, good with kids. It doesn't mean women can't, you know, uh, hunt or whatever, but it just means that in our nat in our nature, we kind of tend to to go these different uh, directions, and so some of the things that I read there in Ephesians five are more about complementing those natures. So um, a guy isn't always good with his uh, talking about his feelings, right? And what's the one thing that that uh, Paul tells men to do in that Galat in that uh, Ephesians five? passage love <laughs> love her right. like he constantly never once is the woman told to love the man like it doesn't even because he didn't really have to like because that's kind of in her nature whereas the guys it's not and it's the same uh it's the same way it's like he's asking the woman feed his ego a little you can make some decisions here but Make him think it was his decision, <laughs> like you know, kind of, kind of feed into to it because make one another happy, like that's kind of, that's kind yeah. of what, how the, if you wanted to sum up Ephesians five, it's like play into one another's strengths and serve one another because that's how it starts. By the way, Ephesians five twenty one, submit yourselves one to another, so there's a two way submission, mm -hmm. and yeah. and so it is saying that care enough for one another that you know one another and serve one another in a way that's going to build your relationship. Exactly. So in Ephesians 5, we're looking at verses 21 through, I'm glad you brought up 21 um, through 33. Uh, I, I think that this is a perfect culmination to the whole thing. I, I had a a teacher one time that did a really good demonstration. He had a uh, a mug and a wine glass. Have I ever told you this? Yes. I don't remember if I've told you this or not. But I like it. Go okay. So he, yeah. So he had a mug and a wine glass, and he he set them up front, and he said, "Okay, so there are there are differences and there are similarities between the mug and the wine glass." He said, "So both of them similarities. Both of them." do the same thing they 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 hold their vessels for you know a beverage right and he said neither one is better than the other one for doing what that that is it's you know yeah. they're, they're the same they equally neither one of them leak neither one of them leak that's right they're, they both do a good job but here's the deal i wouldn't take a wine glass 
to a work site. I would I would take a mug, or if I'm going hiking, um, I wouldn't take a you know a crystal wine glass. I would I would take a mug. Why is that? And he picks up the mug and he throws it against the wall. <laughs> He's like, because when I do that, it doesn't shatter. It it's durable. It's made differently. It's made uh, rugged so that uh, so that it can be beaten and you know so it can do its job even under different circumstances. But at the same time, if I was having a lavish dinner party, I wouldn't serve the guests their wine in mugs <laughs> unless I was crazy. He said, "I would, I would take out the finest crystal, because you know it's meant to be on display. It's meant to be a, a beautiful vessel to carry the wine." And he said, "This, this is, this is what it means to be complementarian. It means that they're both together. Uh, you know, they, they, they do the same function, but they have different roles. Um, and that made a lot of sense to me." Uh, and it's a good transition to look at Ephesians five with. So I read this at every single wedding because I think it's to me um, the purpose of marriage is to be a picture of Christ and the church. Yes, I think that's the main focus of of marriage. Um, if you're doing it right, then it's it's a beautiful picture. Uh, and so he says, I'll, I'll just read this real fast, and then we can we can sum up everything uh, if you want. But all right, here we go. Uh, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands, ask to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Um, he is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are submit to your to their husbands and everything husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church and gave himself for her make her holy cleansing her with the washing of water by the word he did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that but holy and blameless in the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am speaking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. And I like how he switched from submit to respect there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that there's one thing that men crave from their wives, it's to be respected or to be considered special. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, because they feel like they have no worth if they can't provide. Like that's exactly. that's in their nature. Yeah, and if it's one thing that a woman craves, I believe it's 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 to be loved by her husband. And these two things are synonymous they they're almost the exact same thing they fit together so well and that's a great picture of men and women where and again this isn't this idea of the new covenant we're unified together we're one we're we are there is no husband and wife there is the 
husband and wife together. And it's the same with Christ and the church. It's that picture that they're unified. We're in Christ and he's in us. So, you know, I don't know if this solves everything, but to me, it, it, it's clear as mud. Together as you. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you think, Landry? What? <laughs> um, okay, basically, my joke about like why you're not doing my wedding or whatever, I guess my problem with this isn't necessarily in the passage itself or even in your interpretation of it. It's more in of like the connotations and like the way I feel like most of the time when you use this language, like when you use wives, submit to your husband, that is like taken in a way. It's taken like more how we were saying out of, I guess out of context, like they don't focus more on the lay down your life, which is more drastic than like submit, like lay down your life for your wife. That's more, that's like a more drastic kind of submission, I would say, than Mm -hmm. submit to your husband, but it's taken that way. So, like, I just feel like by using that kind of language, like, it perpetuates, like, for example, my dad, like, deep down still thinks he has the authority (laughs) to tell my mom not to get a tattoo. And I do think it is because, like, we still just, it's the way that people take the language, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? And also it gets into, like, I guess, like, what does it look like? Like, submit to your husband. It's like, he can be the spiritual leader. I get that, but it's, like, practically what does it look like in a marriage? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like that can get taken. Well, crazy. and I think that the, 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 the crux of all of that is the whole part about this being a picture of Christ in the church, mm-hmm. so, because that's a beautiful relationship. And, and so whenever we think of it in terms of a domination type of submission, we don't, well, some churches look at Christ that way, but the real relationship between Christ and the church is a loving is a loving submission. It's a loving type of uh, I would do anything for you, mm-hmm. and that's that is submission, by the way. And how many yeah, times do people say that I would do anything for you? And that's so is, yeah. And for me, like okay, so if you take in the the story of your dad and your mom, you know, uh, Christina <laughs> hates she she cannot stand. Uh, my long beard. She hates it. Like, if I grow it farther than, I don't know, an inch or two, she 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 doesn't like it. And uh, so I can either take my own my own preference, which is to have a beard down to my you know waistline. <laughs> I, I think that'd be cool. Um, or I can I can love my wife to the point where I'm willing to cut my hair to her preference. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, this because is what I, I totally get what you're saying. This is what my dad was saying too. But then for me it was a it was the this it's like the sense of ultimatum. Cause I was like, you can prefer mom's hair short, but at the end of the day, something's wrong with you if you say you cannot wear your hair short you know what I mean because it goes both ways right like maybe like if if it was your deep desire to grow your beard long like and Christina really loved you maybe she would let you do it for a little while because you know what I mean it's almost it almost should be a contest of like who can love the other the like the most like who 
like who should be the bigger person. And I feel like this kind of language almost makes it to be like the woman should always be not always, but it it does give the like the impression that the woman should at the end of the day, like, yes, there's compromise. But at the end of the day, the man doesn't like this love your husband enough to honor him but it's like <laughs> love your wife enough to honor her you know what i mean so i don't know i i think that first off you sound like paul says outdo one another in showing love right yeah. charity and uh i think that that's what he meant when he wrote this and I, that's why i, I use it so much well, just because for crying out loud the 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 hardest command in the entire passage is husbands love your wives like christ loved the church and gave himself for it yeah i mean because think about that for a minute christ gave his life for us sight unseen he never laid eyes on me but yet he died for me like there's that's such a crazy love i can't even hardly get my my head around it right let alone my heart and i'm called to that to my wife like that's i'm called to do that and that's like the the most demanding thing in the whole. Yeah, I was going to say that. It's passage. it's almost like the man has more, almost like a bigger job of like loving and like laying down yourself for your wife. You know what I mean? It's almost like he has even more of a responsibility to be loving. You know what I mean? Because he has Christ mm-hmm. for the church. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't so, know. you know, after, after understanding that, I mean... Now, here's the deal. I'll make a deal with you. I won't read this passage if you don't want me to, because I still am going to do your wedding. I don't care. <laughs> you no, you're not. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. <laughs> but, but, I mean. Hey, it can be done, Jeremiah. I, the wedding I just did, I didn't read yeah. five in it. Wow. Right. There you go. But. And in, 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 uh, I, I did uh, Song of Songs uh, 3 and a little bit from Chapter 4. And uh, yeah. whenever we were done, I was talking to the groom, and he was like, dude, I'd never even heard those verses before. And those were amazing, because it's like, I'll go to the Mount of Suffering Love for you. Very poetic. <laughs> and we were standing on a mountain. And so, Ooh. and we were suffering because... <laughs> <laughs> Because it was an elopement that they had, that was they 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 had planned this huge wedding, and didn't get to do any of it, right? And so yeah. it was like this whole. But anyway, a- afterward, I was talking with him about it, and I was like, you know, I just find it interesting that these passages aren't read in weddings more often mm-hmm. because the the scriptures are full of loving passages for couples. Right that extend beyond just the ones that always get read. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think there's a lot more, yeah, there's a lot more to be said, I guess, and a lot more different ways to say it. And Song of that, Songs is a picture of Christ in the church. Yeah. So. So, I mean, I just don't think there's anything wrong with being like, uh, there's better ways to say this in ways that won't be misconstrued <laughs> to perpetuate misogyny. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so I don't know. Is it any clearer than it was when we started? I don't know. I think, I think partly. Here's a here's a good question, and I don't. You don't have to answer this because I don't think I can answer it. But I, would you attend a church where the main pastor was a woman? Yes. 
I don't think that's a hard question. <laughs> I was like, I'm glad you brought it up because I've been dying to talk about it. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it would, it would, be, it would, it would be culturally culturally hard for me. But I don't know if I would completely stand against it or anything. I think I, I would just say it might be out of the ordinary, but like that doesn't mean it's not biblical, I guess. Or that doesn't mean it's like wrong. It just might feel a little weird because it's not common. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's that, I, that's where that's I land the, on a lot of this. I think we've gotten too uh, legalistic about some of this stuff. Yes. And that's yeah. that's to me part of the problem is the reason why this is dividing churches is because people are saying, no, it has to be this way and it can't be any other way. And the other side's going, no, it has to be this way. Yeah. And it's all like, I I mean, it would depend on the community you're in. It would depend on the members of the church, like if it would be successful. Yeah, so let me pose the question, okay, if you were in a place that was predominantly populated with women, and there were no guys. Do you just not have church? Yeah, like that doesn't make sense. Like you just have, you have a woman pastor. But I also don't think, like growing up like Southern Baptist or whatever, it was always the thing where it was like, women can be like pastors or whatever if it's a last resort, like if no man wants to do it. But it's like, what if the woman is better equipped? Because in these days, right, like women are ju- can be just as educated as men so like what if for your community for the members of your church for skill set the woman was better equipped like i don't i don't see anything wrong with that like at all i agree really (laughs) i thought you weren't going to that's the thing you judge me (laughs) i apologize but here's here's the hard thing i'm I'm like david i grew up where, where i grew up how I grew up, um, it was so ingrained that women should not be pastors. And I mean, if my father heard this, he would he would be flipping out. Um, but honestly, if you if you want scriptural support put in context without reading flat hermeneutics and doing proper exegetical study of of the Bible in this issue, I don't have an issue with, with women being pastors. Wow. And I'm surprised. That's just me. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I, I was talking to my brother about this. Where hey, hold I, on. Now what? can I do your wedding? What? <laughs> he said, now can I do your wedding? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> You're moving okay. up there. You're moving up there. You're talking to Oh, yeah, I was talking to my brother Riley about this, and I was saying, like, I like to think, I mean, we don't know for sure, but who's to say that, like, back even in biblical days, like, when they were doing, like, meeting churches meeting in homes, that they weren't, like, meeting in the homes of, like, women, like, that followed Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, Mary mm-hmm. Magdalene, you know? It that, happened. That's what I, yeah, so. I, the, the, the first church in, um, where was it, David? The first convert, uh, convert was was it Lydia? No, what was her name? Lydia uh, Philippi, the woman who died purple. Yeah, that's that's Lydia. That's, yeah, Lydia. Mm-hmm. 
she was the first convert and to me i i don't see any other way other than i mean maybe they met it was in philippi yeah, yeah. that's right um did you say that sorry yes maybe they met met in the philippian jailer's house but i think that they probably met uh in lydia's too yeah so anyways go ahead well i mean <laughs> just think about even going way back into the, the their cultural history how in the world did deborah end up being a judge yeah even that is kind of like that's weird to think about because that able because the judges were the leaders of, yeah. in that culture Right up. So to me, it's like if God, through even in those times, even when it was so against the culture, still made, not allowances, but like still created opportunities, why on earth would he not, in a time where our culture is so different and it's so acceptable, why on earth would he not also be okay with opportunities now? So. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we figured it out there. We've answered the uh, the question. I guess we're egalitarians <laughs> at heart. Next episode, we take my mom to get a tattoo. <laughs> Don't get out of yourself there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you guys haven't done a tattoo episode yet, right? Or have we you? haven't done a tattoo episode. No, no we but, haven't. We should. But both of us yeah. have ink, so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what we, what all we would talk about. Yeah. It's pretty much the people are dumb who think tattoos wrong, but no, I'm joking. not dumb, just misinformed. Hmm, well, yeah. all right, I think that uh, that answers it, dude. Landry, it's so awesome to have you on. That's Thanks fun. for having me. I was kind of nervous. Oh, I really, I was scared of you, Jeremiah, after you were like, but don't be emotional. I was like, ah. And then I came not prepared at all, and I was like, "Great, this is gonna go great." I'm glad you came unprepared. <laughs> well, well, part of the the value of this is just to to talk about stuff yeah. anyway. So that's to me that's the the more important thing than having a bullet point of uh, right. debatable yeah. ideas. Mm -hmm. Just a, a <laughs> see, I expected you to come in debate no form because I knew if I came in debate form, I would I I'm not. I'm not on y'all's level, you know what I mean? I knew Jeremiah would be, he'd be ready. I was like, I'm just here to talk, to have a discussion. <laughs> I think that's well, where I went wrong with my dad a little bit. I'm going to take this kind of format home with me. There you go. Tabletop. <laughs> now, I tell you what, here's what you do. You list this uh, episode together, and then he's going to be angry with me and David. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks, Landry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, just have a talk. It's good. Anyways, all right, we ready to close this out? Yeah, do you have your script? Uh, I'm getting it. Yeah, go ahead. All right. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and stay up to date with all of our shows. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. Be sure to rate us. That helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us an email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270.
connect to us uh, on uh, Instagram at Theonautical and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. If you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's work with us. All right. Thanks for being here, Landry. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremiah. All right. We'll talk to y'all later. All right. God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission. For me. At GCTNetwork.com. You guys are making me look bad in front of God! <laughs>